Okay, good morning. Morning, morning. If you have a Bible with you, can you turn to 1 Timothy? While I get myself arranged here. As Natalie said, my name's Santino. I'm one of the uh, pastoral leaders here of the church. It's a privilege to be preaching to you this morning. Uh, By way of introduction, if you like, it has nothing to do with the series, but while you're turning to 1 Timothy, Natalie mentioned baptisms. I want to give it another push, okay? If you're here this morning and you're a believer or a follower of Jesus and you have not yet been baptised, let me tell you, it is the most important next step you can do. It is the most important next step you can do as being a believer in Jesus. So, please let that settle over you. Come and speak to me afterwards. If you have any questions, uh, any comments, please come and find me afterwards. But if you want to sign up, please go over to the information desk. It is going to be happening next Saturday. So, it's a wonderful celebration. So, if you haven't been baptised, please do think about it. Sunday. Did I say Saturday? That would be an interesting meeting, wouldn't it? I'll be here on my own. Okay, hopefully you found 1 Timothy by now. It's going to come up on the screen behind me as well if you haven't got a Bible. We're going through a series, so I'm not going to give any background. Please look at the website and the blogs, as Natalie said. We're just going to get stuck straight in this morning. Is that okay? 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. And in your Bible, it might have the heading, The Lord's Grace to Paul. This is Paul writing... I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful appointing me to his service even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus Now here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And it does. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe and receive eternal life. Now to the King Eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what a saviour you are. Crucified for our sin, risen for our salvation. Thank you that you are alive right now, reigning in heaven. Just pray, have your way with us today. Come, Holy Spirit, and reveal the Saviour. Reveal this precious Saviour to us. Jesus, open your word. Bring it to life for your glory. Amen. Amen. Through these few verses, I am going to hopefully draw three headings. Well, I am going to draw three headings out. And these are the headings. Paul's past, God's grace, and Paul's thanks and praise. They're the headings, Paul's past, God's grace, Paul's thanks and praise. And I want to stay particularly close to this Bible text today, handling it as best I can, drawing out, if you like, questions, application principles for us today. 
So the first heading is Paul's past. When talking about Paul, we're we're looking to the person that wrote huge chunks of the New Testament. The majority of the New Testament was written by Paul. This is a man who started, supported, strengthened and encouraged churches and Christians around the world. And he gave his life, ultimately, for this spreading message of Jesus across the globe. He started in one place and then spread. And he got got hold of other comrades, if you like, and they spread. Paul gave his life to Jesus. But this man, Paul, had a past before he encountered the risen Christ. And in verse 13, we get some insight into Paul's past. He describes himself as once a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man, but a man that acted ultimately in ignorance and unbelief. Now that is some CV, right? What does your CV look like? That is some CV. A blasphemer. What does that mean? He was insulting. He swore against. He cursed Jesus. He spoke badly of Jesus and spoke badly of Jesus' followers. That's what he did. In Acts, in the New Testament, Acts 26, verses 9 to 11, in that chunk, Paul is being questioned by some of his contemporaries, some of his ex-friends, if you like, the people he used to hang around with. And he says, I too was like you. He says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I was just like you. And I wanted to do all that was possible to oppose Jesus. That is in verse 9 in Acts 26. Verse 11, he goes on to say, Many a time I went from one synagogue to another. So he went from one place of worship to another, tracking these followers down. Because he said, I wanted to have them punished. Because I wanted to force them to blaspheme. So Jesus was not in Paul's radar at all. He wanted to blaspheme against him and he wanted others to do the same. He was a persecutor. What on earth does that mean? He was an oppressor, a tormentor, a tyrant. Paul was a bully. That's what it means. Paul was a bully. And in Galatians, this this is all bits of Paul's writing, okay? Where I'm taking you is bits of writing that Paul has done. To the church, to the Galatian church, he writes this. "For, For you've heard... You've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. How intensely, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Acts 26 again, the second half of verse 11. In my obsession against them. In my obsession against the followers of the way, the followers of Jesus. I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. Now that is going well beyond the call of duty. Even in my obsession against you lot, it's like the equivalent of I'm going to France, I'm going to track you down. You go to France, I'm coming to France. You go to Spain, I'm following you to Spain. I'm going to track you down and I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to persecute you. He was a violent man. It doesn't need much translation, does it? He was furious and aggressive. The English Standard Version says he was an insolent opponent. I love that. I don't love that, but I love that meaning. He was an insolent opponent. Violent. 
aggressive. In Acts 9, it says, Meanwhile, Saul... Now, this was Paul's name before he encountered Jesus. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. I'm going to kill them. I'm going to track them down. I'm going to persecute them. He was a murderer. He was a threatener. He was a blasphemer. He wanted to completely rip this message apart, ignorant and unbelieving. He was hostile to Jesus, hostile to Jesus' followers, and he wanted to absolutely destroy and ridicule the church. That's the man we're dealing with. That's Paul's past. Paul's reminding Timothy, as well as showing and reminding us, just look at what I was like. Just look at what I was like. Paul had some past, right? But you know what? So have we. So have you. So have I. It might not quite like, be like Paul, but we've all got a past. We all have an old way of thinking, behaving, feeling. Maybe some of us are still living in, in certain ways and doing certain things and believing and acting in certain ways. We all have a past and by one stage or another we have all acted in ignorance and unbelief. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I know sometimes we can just let it roll off our tongue like a little children's memory verse. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you know what that means? It means that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, all of mankind have bunked it. All of mankind. But listen to this. Paul considers himself the worst of all. In verse 15 and 16 he says, Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I am the absolute worst. Paul holds his own life up as a display. In effect going, they're sinners and then there's me. I'm the worst. I'm the worst of all. Now you might be here thinking, yeah, but what about such and such? What about this evil dictator? What about this? What about that? Paul knew his past and he was able to say, Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Question for you. What's your past like? What is your past like? It's so easy just to move on. Sit in a little holy huddle. What's your past like? I'm very aware of mine. Very aware of mine. But by the grace of God, what's yours like? What was life like for you before you encountered Jesus? Or maybe you're here this morning and you have no idea what I'm going on about. Maybe you haven't encountered Jesus. Hopefully you will this morning. That's my prayer. That you'll meet him this morning face to face. Some will be here this morning very aware of their failings and trappings. Very aware. But others of you will be completely blind to it. Hey, I'm all right. I'm all right. I get involved with charity. I do all sorts of good stuff. Some will be very aware, others completely blind to it. Or maybe you're here and you feel that you're beyond help 
and hope. Paul's past didn't discredit him. Paul's past didn't counsel him out. Paul's past did not mean it was game over for him. You see, it's not about Paul. It is not about Paul. There is something far, far, far greater than Paul and his past. And that leads to my next heading, God's grace. We're going to camp here for a little while. Because I pray it's going to be the most beautiful thing you've heard for a long while. God's grace. God's grace. Verse 14, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Many of you have forgotten what that's like. The grace of God, Paul's able to say, the grace of God was just poured out on me abundantly, even when I was like that. ESV's translation says, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. Poured out abundantly, it overflowed for me. That's huge, right? What is grace? It's not necessarily what we say before mealtimes. When preparing for this, I worked hard at trying to define grace. But you know what? It was really difficult. And I don't mean because it's difficult to explain it or understand it. I don't think God makes it hard for us. But it's so massive. It's so huge. It's limitless. As soon as you try to boundary it in, it goes, I've broken out of your boundaries. That's what God's grace does. We can't pack it in. We can't pack it in. It's well beyond our limited thinking. It's limitless. I've got some descriptions that will hope understand it a little bit more. I'm going to start here. Heading, headline. The grace I'm talking about is effectively God's love in action. That's how I want you to see it. It's God's love in action. Grace is a gift from God to us. Many of you know, but I want to refresh you, these are foundations we stand on here as a church. It is a gift from God to us. And it is a free gift. It is unearned and it is utterly undeserved. Free gift from God to us. I like this one. Grace is God's lavish kindness and love for sinners. Grace is God's lavish love and kindness for sinners. Other ways to describe love, I punched it into the dictionary. And listen to this, it just explodes, this word. Abundant, generous, extravagant, plentiful, unrestrained, excessive, and I adore this one, over the top. So for me, this one nails it. If you want a description from me, this is mine. Grace is God's over-the-top love for sinners. Grace is God's over-the-top love for sinners, for sinners that don't deserve it. And this love is all found in Jesus. I'm going to give you a few biblical references to help convince you. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, in this, while we were still Sinners, Christ died for us. That's over the top, right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's extravagant, am I right? John 3.16, many of you learnt it in Sunday school. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Eternal life. How extravagant is that? Have you been given a gift such like eternal life? Because I know I haven't. Have you ever been given a gift that is quite like your sins forgiven? Your conscience cleansed? Life forevermore with this Saviour? Because I haven't. That is the best gift I've ever received. And it's extravagant. Back to Paul and the story. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 13 and 14. Absolutely beautiful. We see this tipping point. This turning point is saying, I was like this, this, and this, and then listen to this. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Even though, do you see that? Do you see it? Even though... So whoever you are, even though you are like that, despite Paul and despite his past, God acts. God intervenes. God breaks in. It's God's initiative. It is not dependent on Paul. It was dependent on Jesus. All dependent on Jesus. I want to show you this very quickly. Acts 9, you don't need to turn there, but I'll read it to you. Acts 9, this is the turning point for Paul. This man called Paul was, used, was called Saul, and he was on his way, okay, to persecute the church. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Acts chapter 9. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues so that when he found any that belonged to the way, whether man or woman, he might take them prisoner. And he'll take them to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus, this is it. As he neared Damascus, on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And this is Saul's response. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. He replied, now get up and go to the city and you'll be told what to do from there. So Saul is after Jesus because he doesn't believe it. And then suddenly he comes face to face with the risen Saviour. We're not too sure in the exact bodily manifestation, but a light flashed from heaven and suddenly Jesus was there saying, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus. From that point on, Paul's life radically changed. Even though I was awful in every way, I was met head on with mercy. God's generous, unrestrained, over-the-top love met Paul head on. As Paul encounters the risen Christ, it changes him completely. Absolutely, utterly. Radically, his life completely changed. Heart and lifestyle. This message of Jesus is real. He's alive. So as a person receives, we're looking in this text how he says the the grace of God was 
abundant over me, that poured out over me. As a person receives grace, this undeserved love that I'm talking to you about, it completely changes you. It comes with faith and love. These are some attributes that are attached. Along with it, he says, along with grace came faith and love. They're just attached. You want proof? Well, Paul's using his own life as an example, as I've said. He's saying, look at me, look at what I was like, and look at what God has done. God's using me, Timothy. God's using me, readers, thousands, hundreds of years later. God's using me as a display for all to believe. He's using my life as a trophy of grace. This is a prize. Look at my trophy. God would say, look at Paul. He's my trophy. And Paul would say, look at me. Look at what I was like. I'm a walking, talking demonstration of the unearned, undeserved, over-the-top love of God. And this love has completely changed me. I was once full of insults, aggression, ignorance and unbelief, but now, now I've, I've received something new. I've received something beautiful. And I've received Christ and his grace. And along with that, along with receiving Christ, comes all the benefits of being in Christ. And that is faith and love. You need to know that there are benefits that come with it. You haven't learnt to love. You haven't learnt to be faithful. Along with this grace came faith and love. I didn't know how to love. You know that compassion you feel at times? You know that love you feel in your heart? We had it this morning at the men's prayer meeting. We love because he first loved us. That's the deal. You haven't rusted up this love within you. Please don't be so arrogant to think you have. God has done it within you. Jesus, the life of Jesus within you, is what flows out. God's love poured out abundantly and overflowing from Paul. Grace meets Paul, a sinner, and changes him completely. PJ Smythe, my friend Natalie, sent me this message from a a tweet. I don't quite know. I'm using language I'm not familiar with, right? So when I say the word tweet, please don't think I'm down with the kids, because I'm not. But she sent me this tweet from a guy called PJ Smythe, and he's quoting someone else. Listen to this quote on grace. Grace will confront you with your utter poverty as it blesses you with riches you could have never earned on your own. I'll say it again. Grace will confront you with your utter poverty as it blesses you with riches you could have never earned on your own. You see, folks, we need to see the extent of Paul's past so we can understand some glimpse of the extent and wonder of God's grace. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. God meets us in our utter poverty. Utter poverty. You can't water this down. He meets you as a sinner. He meets us in poverty. We've all been in poverty. I'm not talking about financial. I'm talking about spiritual. I'm talking about brokenness. I'm talking about ruin and destruction. 
And it's, it's blinded with masks of materialism and self-help and charity. Charity's good, right? But it's a mask at times. Because we think we can do things good. We think we are the saviour. God meets us in our poverty, in our utter poverty, and blesses us well beyond what you could ever believe. And this is all unearned and undeserved and is completely brilliant. It's completely brilliant because someone like me, every day I can think, the grace of God met me and the grace of God can meet you. There's nothing like it. It's the best gift a person can ever, ever receive. Jesus takes you from one place to another. He makes you new. The Bible calls it a new creation. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, like Paul, as soon as you're in Christ, you're a new creation. You're a new being. You're a new person. The old has gone and the new has now come. It's not a patch-up. It's completely new. Completely new. New heart, new life, new attitudes and desires. My, my own story, many of you will know, because it's a story similar to yourself. I wasn't brought up in a Christian family. I didn't know Jesus from an early age. I liked a girl that came here. I thought, if girls like that come here, then I'll come here. But God met me head on. And it wasn't a band-aid it wasn't a patch-up. It wasn't a bettering. I was made completely new. New heart, new desires, new life. Question for you, what about you? Has that happened to you? I don't care on the age, whether you were 5 or 55. Have you encountered Jesus? Have you encountered him? Has Jesus changed you? And is he still changing you? Because you know what? You would know. You'd know. There's no kind of like, hmm, I wonder. I wonder. You'd know. Within the depths of your being, God's got hold of me. He's changed me. So in this text, in this portion of Scripture, we see the impact of the grace of God in a person's life. Verse 15, God's grace saves sinners. If you don't know Jesus here this morning, this is the message for you. Paul says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And it is trustworthy. And I tell you what, friend, it deserves full acceptance. What it deserves is for you to say, I believe it. It doesn't mean that you have to say, I'll make it right. I'll try and do some things. All it says is, I believe it. It's a trustworthy saying, what I'm about to say, and it deserves full acceptance. No partial acceptance. It deserves you to say, oh my goodness, I believe it. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. To save sinners. Not the righteous. Not the holier than thou. He came to save wretches, like me and like you. He came to save sinners. And he's come to save you this morning if you don't know him. Verse 16. So that's God's grace, one 
evidence, if you like. He came to save sinners, to wash you new. Another one, verse 16, God's grace is incredibly patient. I spoke a couple of weeks ago on the Father heart of God. And if you were here and remember, I talked about how this Father is incredibly patient. And it's modelled in Jesus as well. And that's what Paul is saying. Paul's effectively, I'm going to paraphrase, saying, my life is a display of Jesus' incredible patience. Because look how incredibly patient he's been with me. I killed Christians. I tried to mock the church. I tried to destroy his beautiful bride. But he's been incredibly patient with me. God's grace is incredibly patient with you. And you might be here this morning thinking, I'm at wit's end. But I want you to hear that Jesus is incredibly patient with you. And he's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting. Why is he waiting? Why does Paul say he uses me? So we can look to Paul and say, wow, that's an incredibly patient God and saviour. What a great saviour he is. It's a display for all of us to see and believe. Also in verse 16, so we've got safe sinners, we've got he's a patient, and this is breathtaking. Verse 16 also, God's grace leads to eternal life. Eternal life is waiting for all who believe. It's an incredible promise. I don't think personally within Christianity it's talked about enough. Eternal life? How bonkers is that? How incredibly over the top is that? We've been through a lot as a church. Individually, you've been through a lot. God doesn't promise to take pain away. He promises to walk with us through them. And one day it's going to be glorious in every way because he promises that every tear will be wiped away, every pain will go, every body will be made whole. One day we'll be with him forever. I think that's good news. I think it's incredible news. I think eternal life is something that we need to be going on and on and on about. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And because he's alive, we can live. We can live. So, first two headings. God's, sorry, Paul's past. God's grace. The last heading is the application. Paul's thanks and praise. In view of all that Jesus had done for Paul, and even when he didn't deserve any of it, there is really only one appropriate response. Thanks and praise. Thanks and praise. Thanks and praise. As Paul looks over his own life, it compels him. You look at this chunk of scripture, keep looking at it across the week, and look at what Paul does. It's really interesting. He's talking to Timothy, then he just bursts out. He just bursts out in praise. That's what we see in this chunk of scripture. Paul's before and life, before and after journey, like this makeover, this Holy Spirit makeover, this holy makeover. Jesus has gone, this is you before and this is you now. And in between we see this sandwich. It's two bookends, if you like. Verse 12 and 17. Verse 12 This first bookend is thanks. Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Paul's expressing real personal gratitude. Wow. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you. 
Thank you for giving me strength. Personal. Thank you for appointing me to your service. Thank you for considering me faithful. Even me. Wow. It's personal and real. It's incredible. First bookend, thanks. Second bookend, that's sandwiching all this grace in the middle. Second bookend, praise. Verse 17. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. (laughs) Do we ever engage with one another like that? We're just talking, chatting, praying together, and then suddenly, now to the King, to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Paul seems overwhelmed with the greatness of God. So from a very personal thank you to the overwhelmness of the greatness of Jesus, King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. And I want to tell you very boldly this morning, Jesus is the only God. The only God. The only God. There's another New Testament writer, a guy called Jude. He's done a short letter, so there's only a few verses in it really, but in verse 25, he seems to break out into the similar praise. He says, To the only God and Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Again, what incredible praise. Paul, much like Jude, is saying, Jesus, there is none like you. There is none like you. You're invisible, you're immortal, you're eternal, you're the king of all creation. And there's none like you. And you deserve all glory and all honour. And you know what? You deserve it forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. Paul's response to the un- deserved, over-the-top grace that he had received is to worship the one he had received it from. There's no doubt about it. There's nothing in Paul that says, yeah, I've got this right. I've about kind of attained to something here. He's saying, no, my response is, I'm nothing. He is everything. He is everything. And he's done everything for me. (laughs) Jesus Christ, the grace giver, the life changer, the saviour. Paul encountered Jesus. Jesus changed him. For that, he's eternally grateful. He gives his life to worship, honour and follow him. So what then is our response? That was Paul's. What's ours? It's not rocket science, is it? Many of you will be like, hmm, I wonder. I wonder what our response is then, San. You see where I'm going. Our response is exactly the same as Paul. You see, we serve the same Jesus. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. The same Jesus that encountered Paul is the same Jesus amongst us by his spirit today. And you can know him. We can know him. We can know him more and more and more. As I've said, Paul through this text is using his own life as a display, an advertisement board, if you like, of the unearned, undeserved saving power of God. For us to see what the impact of the true gospel looks like. Gospel, the good news of Jesus, 
and what this impact of Jesus in a person's life looks like. And he also uses his own life as a display of how to respond to such grace. Thanks and praise. That is our only appropriate response. So if you're truly saved, I'm going to push you this morning. If you're truly saved, because some of you here won't be, if you're truly saved, if you're genuinely born again, if you have encountered Jesus as Saviour, your heart's response should be thanks and praise. And I'm not talking about jumping up and down and screaming and running around. Sometimes through tears, you're just saying, but you're wonderful. Even though I'm in this, you're still magnificent. You're still magnificent. That should be the same for us, to give our lives as worship, honour and following Jesus. Thank you that you picked me. Thank you that you appointed me. Thank you that your grace was overflowing and abundant for me. For you. For you. It's overflowing for you. His grace is abundant for you. And it's here for you. So a question as we come into close got a few more things to say and then we're going to worship him. What about you? How are you doing? And I don't, I'm not looking for the response of, doing all right, thanks, Sam. I'm doing okay. How are you doing inside? Some of you might be here thinking, that's a nice little message for those that don't know Jesus. No, no, no. It's a message for you. It's a message for you, friend, whoever you are. How are you doing? When I present Jesus to you, how are you doing? Who do you say he is in your life? Are you thankful to Jesus for what he's done? Because I miss it at times. Are you grateful for the salvation, the free gift of salvation that you've received? Do you ever just break out into praise, thinking, wow, you created the stars? The sun, the trees, me. You created me and you know me by name. Or maybe you've forgotten about it altogether. Maybe you've just shelved it. Or maybe you've deliberately chosen to walk away. You're just here going through the motions. I want the Holy Spirit to get you again. I want him to grab you from the inside and remind you about what Jesus has done Grace is far too precious a thing for us to forget. The message of grace is fundamental to Paul and it needs to be fundamental here as a church. We stand on the grace of God. That's what kind of church we are. Those saved by grace. Chosen. Not because of us, because of him. Grace is central to the gospel. We're a people, amen, that have encountered Jesus. A church together encountered this risen Saviour, one killed for our sins, crucified for us, the one that has risen to give us brand new life. That's why we're here. That's why I come every Sunday to be with you, to celebrate Jesus. In a few moments, I'm going to give us all the opportunity to respond. 
to give us the opportunity to respond to Jesus and I'm going to, to be honest, leave it up to the Holy Spirit to stir us as he sees fit. He's the one that will come to reveal the Saviour. He's the one that will remove blindfolds. But to close, I'm going to read these few scriptures that Paul wrote also in Ephesians. And then I'm going to invite the band to come up. Ephesians 2, verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions, in our sin, in our rebellion, in our ignorance and unbelief. Even then, it is by grace you've been saved. Ephesians 2.8 For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. 1 Timothy 1.17 Scripture that I opened with. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. What a great God. What an incredible Saviour. Let's stand, shall we? I'm going to lead us in a prayer. But I'm going to be quite prescriptive.